Hello and welcome to our bonus Q&A episode of Books of the Year. We're here with international best-selling superstar Lisa Jewell, uh, who you probably heard on our previous episode. If you didn't, and you've got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, Lisa hasn't heard it because she doesn't listen to podcasts. Obviously not, no. Although I still hope that when you get to do your annual signing at the publisher that you'll listen to this podcast. Yeah, I will. I'll With yourself uh, <laughs> on it. Right, here comes the Q&A though. So question number one is always this one, Lisa. What is the last book that you really, really enjoyed? I really like that there are two reallys because that, mm. that gives me a much more, a much narrower... Because we always enjoy, <laughs> lots of people enjoy a book. Yes. Oh, I enjoyed this book. Yeah, but Oh, no. you can really enjoy a book. Something but to that you'll really, get to the really... end of the year and you'll really uh, be recommending. It's a perfect question um, because I immediately, instead of thinking, oh, this book, that book, I suddenly, I knew exactly which book and that's Strange Sally Diamond. By Liz Nugent. Have you read it? I have not. Oh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. It's about this. Um, I, I love write, I love writing about strange people and I love reading about strange people. And it's about this um, this father um, of an adult daughter who's slightly odd and he drops dead. And they've lived a quite a reclusive existence together, just the two of them. And he always said, when I die, put my body in the bin. Um, so he drops dead. She puts his body in the bin word gets through the village that Sally Diamond has put her father's body in the bin and suddenly all you know, everybody's on site, social services, the police, um, and she's dragged into the sort of, you know, the heart of her, the community that she's lived on the, on the edges of for her entire life. And, uh, I think is it is it a podcaster involved? I think oh, it might be a podcaster one. involved <laughs> who knows that she that that she has a very strange backstory, Sally Diamond, that she's forgotten about, and uh, yeah, and it's really unsettling. It's really funny. It's really vivid. It's really quirky, and it's I love Liz Nugent anyway, and this is definitely her best novel. We're always um, fascinated by the process as far as writers are concerned. So, where and when do you write best? Um, yeah, I am, I, routine, basically. I'm having a nightmare at the moment because it's, it's the middle of summer and my life has no routine. It has no shape or structure. I can just wake up whenever I want to wake up. I've got a 20 year old and a 16 year old at home who are constantly wanting me to take them places or, or sit down and, and help them book tickets for a holiday or, or discuss the, getting their eyelash extensions done. <laughs> and um, there are just people in my house the whole time. And obviously publishing a book means I'm here, there and everywhere. Uh -huh. And I'm off doing podcasts with Simon Mayo. And, Hang on, can I um, say, before you finish that sentence, there are people in your house all the time. Are these more people you've invited in no, they're to my... spend their, a year with you? These are my bloody children. Oh, right. They're not supposed to be there. The point being that I write best in my home at my kitchen table when there's nobody there. I mean, it's just, and, and, and I know that nobody's about to walk in through the door um, and that I've got four hours, say, of uninterrupted time at my kitchen. I don't have a study or an office at home, so uh, which doesn't help um, my, my situation at the moment with people all over my house. <laughs> so is the kitchen, that's where you run? Because it strikes yeah. me, the kitchen in pretty much every house is if there is anyone coming into the house, yes. the kitchen is the place where you're most likely to be disturbed. Oh, exactly. So... Did you deliberately? No. I mean, that seems like the worst possible room. It's ridiculous. Room to... No, so I started writing in my kitchen um, when the children were at primary school. And, and that's really, life becomes very manageable when your children are at primary school because they, they, it's a very strict routine and, and they're locked in a school all day and you know they're not going to suddenly walk in through the door. So I was safe. 
I was safe and I didn't I hadn't quite thought ahead to the days when the, my children's lives would be more fluid and flexible and they'd be coming and going a little bit more and uh, no I don't have anywhere to write apart from in bed so I do sometimes take my laptop to bed and write in bed when I've when I've had enough um so yeah routine groundhog day every day being the same empty diary is another thing as well just even looking at your diary for the week and seeing that you've got two days where you know you're not going to be able to get any writing done because you're out doing other things well you're making this feel pretty bad <laughs> no this is fine <laughs> sorry you've had to come and promote the book <laughs> keeping you away from this mega book which no, you're never going to finish but you very kindly have done it on a Monday which is brilliant be much worse on a, on a Wednesday oh we'd never ask you on that a, would on break a, we'll make break, break the routine up horribly do, in, in none of this is true it discussed in our other podcast Alex has got a shed down the bottom yeah. of the yeah you know, paid for by her husband with a nice coffee machine. Not that you need that. You just need a <laughs> kettle. Why don't you have one of those? I, my garden's the size of this studio. Have a small one. I'd be, <laughs> it would be like a toilet cubicle. Okay. I could get like one of those portaloos <laughs> and just sit in there. Um, is there a book that changed your outlook on writing? Um, yeah. Am I allowed two books? Yes, of course. Because I have written across two genres and they were definitely two books that informed the way I felt about writing in both genres. And the first one was A High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, which was, in fact, having thought all my life that I'd like to write a novel one day and thought all my life that, particularly being a woman, that you had to wait until you'd, like, lived your life and had loads of life experience that were a little bit damaged and a little bit bruised um, and very mature. Um, read High Fidelity when I was about 26 and... I'd, I'd not, I'd never read a book like that before. I'd read a lot of comedy before, but I'd never read anything that felt like I was in the pub with my friends, and that felt like they were writing about people I knew and places I knew, and the the, the sort of shared shared a, a mindset and just yeah. And I read that book and thought I'd like to write the girl version of this book, um, and that really did inform the way I felt about going into writing my first novel. I wanted it to be quite blokey. I wanted it to be really current. I wanted it to be about people who I knew and my experience of living in London and I really did hit the zeitgeist with that little did I know that you know Bridget Jones was about to hit and that every publisher in London was going to be looking for young girls talking writing books about their experiences of being young and single in London so yeah I think that open basic high fidelity opened the door to me it made me think okay you're only 26 but you know you've had a, a few experiences yeah he's writing about his ex-girlfriends I thought I could write a book about my ex-boyfriends that would be fun um so yes yeah, so that really did change my outlook on writing as something that I could do as a young person um and then I wrote a lot of books in that genre sort of rom-coms um and then I read After You'd Gone by Maggie O'Farrell about halfway through my career which I, even though it's not a thriller, it has such a psychological thriller structure to it. And, and in terms of Maggie O'Farrell is withholding so much from the reader for so much of the book. Um, and that really did inform the next tranche of books that I wrote. It's just I, I moved away from romantic comedy and started writing books about families with secrets um, and used that structure very strongly in all my and even now, even with this book, I still think I'm using part of what I learnt about how to how to create tension in a psychological thriller from reading after you've gone by maggie o'farrell definitely okay two books you've got 
Um, do you have a go-to author who is your sort of comfort read? So I, I know maybe comfort read is the one that you think that's what's coming on holiday with me because I'm going to enjoy sitting on the beach reading that. Okay. Or maybe comfort read is this is what I need to, to switch off, which obviously you can't do and won't be able yeah. to do for like a year <laughs> whilst you get your other books your other books sorted. Well, in terms of a, a book, I mean, I have a lot of go-to authors who are the ones that automatically find their way into my suitcase. But I, I would genuine, generally say, though, that I'm I'm quite guilty of taking the hype books on holiday with me, saving the hype books. So I didn't read Yellowface when it came out. Okay. So I just thought, no, that's one I'm going to want to put in my in my suitcase. Um, but in terms of a writer who genuinely using the word comfort, this writer and she's not she's not a writer of classics. She's only started writing about five years ago. Is Catherine Heine? Have you read any Catherine Heine? No. no. She's an American author. She's got quite a British sensibility, though, because she spent quite a long time living in the UK. Um, and she's dry, like a dry comedy, um, quite quirky, quite edgy, um, and just, but feels just absolutely like the minute you turn the first page of one of her books, you, you feel like you're sitting with a friend. And she's telling you about her life and she's got a really good way with words and she's really funny and she makes you feel really, you know, sort of seen and recognised. And yeah, so Catherine, Catherine Heine, I love her. OK, we've got that down. Uh, we always like to surprise everyone who, who comes on um, with a question from a fellow author uh, and fan. So we have Ooh. a voice note here from a best-selling novelist, Adele Parks. Oh. Here she is. <laughs> Hi Simon, hi Matt and hello Lisa, it's Adele here. As you know, I'm a big fan and love you very much Lisa. I just wanted to ask you, if you were in a karaoke bar, what would your song of choice be? Now, um, full disclosure, I have been in a karaoke bar with you but I can't remember what you sang. So yeah, what would it be? I like the way she recorded it on a 78 disc. <laughs> she did, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, the crackle there. What was the crackle from? No, she added that for effect. <laughs> um, oh God, I have done I have done karaoke with Adele. That was one of the, the drunkest, most Soho insane nights of my life. Um which means I can't remember what. Was. <laughs> um, but I did also do another. I've done karaoke twice, and the first time I sang um, "Young Hearts Run Free" by Candy Statton, um, which would be my karaoke song because it was a song that really lived in me in the five years that I was in my first marriage. I was in a coercively controlled marriage um, where my freedom was very much limited. So that song, it makes me cry. It still makes me cry if I hear it. So that would be a, a karaoke song as a song from the gut. But that's a, a song that I really love singing is Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello. That's a really fun song to sing. So, Okay. We've got two, we've got two songs on your list. Then. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, if you hadn't become this best-selling 10 million book author... That is it you, 10 million? 10 million, it's as 10 I understand million. it, from the front of the cover. Uh, is there another <laughs> career that you'd like to have pursued, that you'd like to have done, that you felt you were heading towards before, before <laughs> writing? Right. Can I be entirely honest and tell you what I thought I was heading towards before I started writing this novel was finding a rich man. Um, I had got to a point in my career, I was working as a secretary and which I liked and I thought I'd carry on being a secretary. My mother was a secretary, my sisters were secretaries. I thought I'll just carry on being a secretary. But it'd be really good if I could meet a rich man so I could at least afford to have a, like, a nice house. And So that's where I was heading. But now that I've been 
well, a, a writer but worked in the publishing industry for, for ne- nearly 30 years or whatever it is, I would love to be an editor. I would love to be an editor. I love editing. So that would be my dream job if I wasn't allowed to be a writer anymore. With other other authors With other submitting authors. their scripts and then yeah. you go, this is rubbish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got, this third should be a quarter. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. So, yeah, that would be my alternative to this. <laughs> no one's ever said that before. Ah. No, no, never had that. Have you ever tried to impress someone with a book? Normally, Matt says he sort of... You, yeah, you French, around there's with... this French... So I studied French at university and uh, there was a book called uh, Nest of Vipers by Francois Mauriac. And because Francois Mauriac is not very well known, if you're French, you definitely know who he is, but he's not very well known over here. I thought it would definitely impress girls if I had this Francois Mauriac. It, by the way, never worked. Ever, yeah. <laughs> um, and but I yes, having this dog dog eared book around, about my person, I thought would be really impressive. Okay, do you still so, have it? Well, I've... well, I've still got the book, but yeah. I don't. Do you... I don't wander around, don't wander around slashing it... it in front of women. Yeah, yes. going there you go, hanging out of in your back Moriac. pocket. Um, I no, I've never tried to impress a specific person uh, with a book, but I have been aware of the fact. I I used to read. I used to read a lot more widely than I read now, um, and I used to read for self improvement and to. To learn things which I don't, which I no longer do. Um, so yeah, when I was much younger, if I was reading a particularly difficult book or a particularly, I don't know, maybe sort of male-oriented book, I might be quite sort of like if I was reading like Chomsky or something, I would I would not hide the book on my lap on the tube. I'd probably hold it up so that people could see I was reading a, an important and difficult and um, uh, interesting book. But no, I've never specifically set out to impress a certain person with a book. I'd never read anything by Noam Chomsky. No. <laughs> short chapters or long chapters? For reading. For reading. Short. Definitely. Oh, I, I do that thing that a lot of readers do. You're, you're thinking, I, I, I've only got a certain amount of time to read. How many more? Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and if you realise that there's only three pages to go, then that's just a gift from the writer to the reader. So as a reader, reader and a writer, short chapters. We've got Sebastian Fultz coming on uh, the podcast very shortly. Obviously, you won't hear it. but. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I'm enjoying the book very much. Long chapters, though. Gonna yeah, they to, are. Yeah. Gonna have to have a word yeah. with him about yeah. that. It's yeah. not hard to break a long chapter up into short chapters. On, it's Seth. really easy. <laughs> Do you have a favourite screen adaptation of a book that you love? Uh, yes. Well, I have many. I have many, but I think the one that I adored, and it was lovely because my husband doesn't read. So quite often, what? he doesn't read. So quite often. What about your books? It, he will. He listens to my books on on holiday, and I and he'll start listening, and then I'll turn around and look at him on the next sun lounger, and he's fast asleep. Ah. Um, but <laughs> so quite often, I the only way I can introduce books I've loved to my husband is once they're adapted for the screen. So and I I really enjoy doing that, and the the best one, and it's one of our favourite movies as a couple. Um, we both we we talk about it all the time as the Lovely Bones. I thought that was and and it was also such a challenging. A challenging book to to adapt to the screen and so well done um so yeah that's my favorite is there a genre that you'd like to write and you've already told us obviously you're writing sci-fi in your next book and we're obviously yeah. not talking anymore about yeah. that but is there a genre that you'd like to dip your foot into no i mean i've done romantic comedies i've done sort of i guess sort of uh, literary light style family dramas um i even did a little bit of historical with one of my novels um no, I'm I'm here now. This is my I found my place. This is where I want to be. 
and and the the whole sci-fi thing has absolutely <laughs> rammed that home as well. Stay in your space. <laughs> so this might be the the last. I know. I'm not doing another one now. <laughs> How many pages is it going to be? A thousand? No. Oh well, you mean if I'd including all the words I've chopped out, it would be yes. But no, it's, okay. it, it's going to be a normal size. <laughs> uh, finally, you're throwing a fantasy a literary dinner mm. party. You can invite three authors, living or dead. Let's say to Adele Parks, Adele, you're in there. You're yeah. coming anyway, so you know. Well, in fact, inviting Adele Parks sets the theme for my answer to this question because obviously it's not the first time I've been asked this question, and I have a, I'm ridiculous around my heroes. I'm ridiculous around celebrities. I'm ridiculous around people who I respect. Um, obviously, I'm not being ridiculous around you, Simon. It doesn't mean I don't respect you. Well, I, think, I think it does. You don't listen to the podcast. That's for sure. I just turn into a really weird person. And so I wouldn't want to bring my literary heroes to, to a dinner party because I'd be behaving really strangely and I'd be all sort of shrill and on edge and... Um, so I would very much only want to bring friends. So Adele could definitely, definitely come. Um, I've got lots of writer mates and I wouldn't want to choose just three out of my, my large list of, of, of beloved writer mates. But no, I wouldn't want to bring anybody famous. I met Nick Hornby once. <sighs> yeah. And I just, I was so overwhelmed. By... Okay. So, so let's adapt it. So you can invite three people, but then you can't, then you can't make it because your car broke down. So you're not actually going to be awkward in front of them because you're not actually going to so meet I'm not them. actually there. No. So the three people who you like to invite... Right. Well, or got... you've got laryngitis and you can't talk. So you're there and you're enjoying their company, but you can't talk and be let yourself down, isn't <laughs> well, it? It would have to be Agatha, wouldn't it? What what crime or Mr. thriller writer wouldn't want to invite Agatha? Who wouldn't want to get into Agatha's head and find out? how she did what she did and what sort of person she was and um, what made her tick. Um, and I love those. I love those old guys from the 70s. I love like, Julian Barnes and Martin Amis and David Lodge. And I would love to spend some, I mean, you know, these are all writers I've never met because they sort of in a generation above me and a sort of genre away from me and what have you. So, yeah. Or, a, or also a dead, but, you know. And, and now increasingly dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So we got there. So, I think yeah. so we got Agatha Christie, Martin Amos, and Adele Parks. That wow, would be what a night. What a shame about your laryngitis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, thank you very much to you for joining us. Thank you for being a guest on Two Podcasts. None of This Is True by Lisa Jewell, published by Cornerstone, is out now. And you can hear her discuss that book in detail on our other podcast if you haven't heard it already. Be back next week for another Books of the Year when we'll be joined by barrister turned award winning crime writer Steve Kavanagh. Hope you can join us then. <laughs> 